0: I am so glad that God is good. Aren't you? Welcome today. Uh, Today we start a new series. I'm very excited about it. And when I was thinking about the goodness of God, oddly enough, I thought about orange juice. It's a little strange, isn't it? But when I lived in Miami, one of the things that we loved to do was ride our bicycles. And there are bike paths all over South Miami. And they happen to go through areas where private homes have orange trees. And there are groves of them there. But they also have tall walls that separate you from those trees. But there is something called low-hanging fruit. And that's the tree's limbs that come over the wall. And as you're riding your bicycle, you can just grab one and grab two. And then when you get home, you cut those things in half and you squeeze and squeeze and squeeze You don't add anything to it, and you drink it. That is orange juice. Everywhere else I've been and ordered orange juice, I don't want to drink it. Why? Because they have diluted it. They've added something to the reality that really takes away from it. And that's what undiluted does. Undiluted protects the reality But to dilute something is to add something to a solution that makes it weaker. We have an undiluted gospel. God has given it to us. And what he has said to us is, Jesus is the only name you need. Grace from me is the only grace you need. Faith from me is the faith you need to believe in me and in Jesus. And the scripture alone Gives you everything you need about those things. So over the next four weeks You're going to hear some undiluted messages about Jesus and grace and faith and Scripture So if you have your Bibles get them if you're online make sure you have a Bible with you today We're going to look at several scriptures that talk about this. Let me begin with a story It's a true story about two young men Probably in their later teens. And these young men were prayer warriors. They just really loved to pray. Every day they prayed. Somewhere around three o'clock was the optimal time that people gathered together and, and they would join them. And on this one day, they probably left their house around 2:45, and they headed to the place of prayer. And as they were going, and maybe you've experienced this, if you're driving, now they were walking, there's somebody on the street corner up near the prayer time that's holding up the placard that I have a need. You've seen those, and some of those are real needs. Well, on this occasion, when these two older teenagers are walking up, they are confronted by a guy who's asking them for something to help him. They turn to him and they say, we don't have what you want, but we have something. Now I can imagine this man's reaction. And I'm of course inputting this. This is how I would feel. If I'm standing there on that street corner day after day after day, trying to get enough to be able to eat and to live. And I'm thinking, yeah, they don't have what I need. They're gonna give me a Bible tract. They're gonna give me the directions to a soup kitchen. They're not going to give me what I really need. That may have been his reaction. He was sitting there, and they said, we don't have what you need. But then one of them turns to him and says, but this I do have. And his name was Peter. And he looked at the lame man who had been lame for 40 years from birth, and he picked him by the hand, and he said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I know how hard it is to get up when you fall. You know, the older I get, the more difficult it is. This guy's 40. He doesn't just slowly get up. He leaps up. He starts dancing. He starts singing. He is so excited. Can you imagine the excitement? Here, this has happened to him. He can now walk. He can move. Everything's taking place in his life. He can't believe it. And he doesn't know why it happened. All he knows is these two guys came by. They told me to get up in the name of Jesus, and I did Wow, this is awesome. Well, they weren't alone. There were crowds all around in this area of Solomon's porch. And the crowds noticed, because how many of them had been coming for years? And this man was a fixture at the gate called Beautiful. He was always there. And now they see him up and dancing, and and they're thinking, God has done this. What a magnificent thing. And, and little by little, the word spreads, and the roars begin. And everyone was so excited, except for the people inside the temple. The priests were furious. They said they didn't have that power. They'd never prayed for anybody that was healed right there on the spot. It just hadn't happened. And so they were concerned that there's this power out there that we don't know about, that we need, and these two guys, these young teenage boys, they have it. I wonder what we have to do to get it. Another problem was the problem of the commander of the temple because he was supposed to keep order and now he sees the crowds beginning to murmur and it gets into a shout and he's concerned, is this going to turn into some kind of insurrection? How am I going to handle this? And the Sadducees and the Pharisees in there are arguing back and forth and the Sadducees said well it you know we don't believe in a resurrection so this wasn't in the power of Jesus because he couldn't do anything he's dead and the Pharisees were saying well we do believe in the resurrection but we know he's dead that's the attitude that was being faced and and the problem they had was the tomb of Jesus Christ was empty it had be been empty for years And it wasn't because someone stole the body. It wasn't because they figured out a way to bring up this scam. No, it's because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Now, here are Peter and John going against an institution. It's a powerful institution. All of that's covered in Acts chapter 3 that Luke writes for us. But then as we get into Acts 4, we find out what happened. The rulers were so concerned about Peter and John and and what they were doing, they threw him in prison overnight, just in the jail. And the next day, they called him to come forth and give an answer for what they had done. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, gives the undiluted truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pick it up in verse 10 of Acts chapter 4 where Peter's saying to these leaders, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. That's how it happened. That's what he has to say to them. Churches today can be found that are adding to this truth. Maybe you've been to some, maybe you've watched some online, where they say to you two words, Jesus and. Except for my having just said it, anywhere you hear it, leave. Because there is no additive needed to the person or work of Jesus Christ. He's done it. It's complete. Nothing else is needed. Some will say to you, well, there's a certain way you need to dress if you're coming to church. There's a certain way you need to pray if you're coming to church. There's a certain version of scripture you need to read if you're coming to church. There's a certain amount of money you should give if you're coming to church. And all this guilt is laid upon you as though there's something you can do to appease God and his wrath for our sin that's adding to the scriptures it is Jesus alone who saves Jesus is the Savior in Peter's day they were called the way they weren't Christianity and follow these four distinctives of that early movement in the first century first of all They were very young and weak in their faith. I mean, they had just experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit. They had walked with Jesus for three years, and now they're expected to expand the kingdom through the whole globe. They're young. They're weak. That's one. They're inexperienced in their leadership. That's two. And they're small in number. They didn't have tens of thousands and millions of people following them so they were having a difficult time and at that point in time from their perspective this is a peaceful movement we simply want to offer you your means of salvation we're not going to argue about it, fight about it, go to war over it it's very peaceful the problem is they were up against an institution that was thousands of years old they were up against this Jewish model of reality, where the Jews were saying, we have laws you need to keep. You keep those laws, we'll see if you can get a little bit closer. You give your money, we'll let you a little closer. That's adding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are those churches that hate the message of Jesus alone. I know one of them. I was teaching in a seminary in men, Siberia, a few years back. Went there for about five or six years. Early on, the ministry there, run by Jim Foote, was called Footprints. And it was a cultural center that had been developed as a means of bringing the gospel to that lost area of Siberia. Jim worked hard. I came, I trained some of his leaders. I worked with students who wanted to be able to share the gospel. There were about 30 or 40 of them. And during that period of time, Jim found favor with the government and he was able to go in and get more and more freedoms allowed so that he could actually have worship in this little place. It was a basement of an office building. And then he was told about some property downtown that he could purchase, and they would allow him to have a church there. So he made the first deposit, and he began doing all the things you do when you're going to construct something to build in and and to worship in. The day came, and I happened to be there, when he was to go down to the authorities and get the final sign-off on all of it. He came back. I said, how did it go, Jim? He said, we didn't get it. I said, what do you mean you didn't get it? You've already paid for part of it. He said, when I went in, they said they had already sold the land. How can you sell something that someone else has already made a deposit on to purchase? Well, You've got to remember where you are. I said, well, who bought the land? He said, the Russian Orthodox Church. Why? Are they going to use it for something? No. They simply don't want the gospel of Jesus Christ to spread. They're opposed, at least in Tumen, Siberia, that particular section of that church is opposed to the expansion of the gospel. And there are churches in America that speak against the absolute nature of Jesus only as the means of salvation. But as long as you come here, whether you're here or in Alma or online with us, as many of you are today, you will hear the clear, undiluted message of Jesus and grace and faith in Scripture and all the other doctrines that God has given us to learn how to live in His presence. Peter and John were all about a name. Why? Not just because someone taught them. They walked with Jesus. A couple of fishermen minding their own business making a little bit of income. We know Peter was married probably taking care of his family and his wife's family. So he's down there every day catching the fish, cleaning the fish, selling the fish, until one day this itinerant preacher comes by, this rabbi, and says, I need to borrow your boat. I want you to go out a little bit so I can speak to the people who are there. And after he speaks, he calls forth the fish that Peter can't even load into the boat. And Peter says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man that's the first reaction Peter had is that he recognized there was something different about this rabbi but then think about it Jesus had nowhere to live he had no home of his own so these disciples following him went with him everywhere he went they ate their meals with him they slept in the same room or building as him they were with him when he prayed to the father I mean, they had an intimate relationship with Jesus. They saw the miracles he performed. And they were amazed. You know, no man can do these kind of things. How are you able to do this? Little by little, he was unleashing and revealing to them his nature as God. For he was the God-man, 100% both. And here... They're beginning to absorb all of this information. Now, they didn't fully understand until after he was raised from the dead. And then they saw him, and they walked with him, this risen Savior. How can you keep someone silent when they've experienced what they had, hearing everything he said, seeing everything he did, seeing this intimacy between himself and the Father? They experienced it. It was part of them. And that's what happens when Jesus really gets a hold of you. No one can silence you. You will give praise and honor and glory to him in every situation in your life because you have been with him. Now, we have been with him not by sight, but by faith. But that faith is strong because he's the one who's placed it there. He's the one who's growing it there. Why? Acts 4, verse 12 salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. That's it. There's no other name. There's no other movement. There's no other reality. It's all about Jesus. And as one person said, if it's not, it ought to be. Yahshua. Joshua of the Old Testament becomes Jesus, Jesus of the New Testament, because this Jesus has his name because he will save his people. That's what the angel told Joseph. What a Jesus, what a savior we have. I remember hearing a preacher once. And I was really excited about the way he approached this because he wanted to convince all of us that there is no other name. And here's what he said. He said, you can admire Jesus and not be saved. You can sing about Jesus and not be saved. You can write about Jesus and not be saved. And this is the one that got us. You can preach about Jesus and not be saved. But you can't call on his name and remain lost. You hear that? You can do a lot of things in the name of Jesus and not be saved. But scripture itself tells us in Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So you can't call on him and not be saved if you need to call on him this morning That's why you need to say Lord save me right where I am Because salvation is of the Lord He's the one that grants it not because of anything you do Not because of anything you've done not because of your status in life Not because of your cultural setting We're all brothers and sisters. We're all created in the image of God. And God saves from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, those who are being saved. So call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. I have a a friend who's actually preached here before, Pastor Rick Bosnak, pastors here in Michigan. And I was watching one of his messages a few weeks ago. And he had this line in it that I haven't yet asked permission. I'm going to use it anyway. If he doesn't like it, that's his problem. (laughs) But it was a great line. What he had done was he, he took his church on a journey into all the different things you and I search for, for meaning in life, for pleasure, for purpose, for hope. And he would string that out and say, so... You love to eat, so you're eating and eating. How's that going? Are you finding what you need out of life through that? You're going to the entertainment industry. Are you finding in life what you need from that? And he went on and on and on. And then he finally convinced me as I was watching it that, no, none of those things work. And then he said this, and this is what I'm borrowing. Maybe, just maybe, we need a Savior. Nothing else works. So maybe, maybe you need a Savior. I didn't know I needed a Savior. I thought I could find peace and meaning and hope in all of those things that Pastor Rick mentioned on that day. I remember back to those 28 years of being an unbeliever, and especially the last 10 of them from 18 to 28 I was seeking some kind of peace. I I got into an occult group, was involved in that. I tried probably everything that anyone has ever tried in the world to find that kind of peace, and I couldn't find it. And it was literally killing me. So maybe, just maybe, I needed a Savior. And God, in His grace and in His mercy, He met my need because that's what he does. Or I wouldn't be here today. The current setting that we have in our own world, the political unrest, the social unrest, the unrest in the world of health, all of those are very serious. Maybe, maybe we need a savior. And we have a Savior who's not surprised at what is happening. We have a Savior who has a plan. I don't know what the plan is. I don't even try to conjecture what the plan is. But I trust my God and I trust the plan because I have a Savior who cares. I have a Savior who's going to take me, regardless of all the circumstances, where he promised me that someday I would go. Where are you? Tim Keller, pastor in New York, said this, as many learned and later taught, you don't realize Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Have you come to that point in your life where you're not sure, you don't know confidently that you're saved. Perhaps it's because you think there's something else you need to do to be pleasing unto God. No. God doesn't save people who've done everything he wants them to do. He saves people who have failed to do anything he wants them to do. Because every one of us in here falls short of the glory of God according to the scriptures. And yet God in his mercy and grace has seemed to forgive us all for that. Now he's simply asking us, will you accept the fact, the truth, the reality of an empty grave? Will you accept the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And that only that gives you hope. My hope is in the resurrection. And as Paul said, I am convinced, I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've given him, what, me, everything? until that day when he comes back. That's what God wants for us. John 14, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father. Here's the exceptional statement, except through me. There are not multiple ways to God. There's only one way. We don't speak that arrogantly or pridefully. We simply speak what God said. There's only one way, and that is through Jesus Christ himself and what he's accomplished for us. So we accept that. So who is Jesus to you? The pastor who ended up leading me to the Lord, marrying Linda and me, sending me to seminary, a very vital part of my life. The first time I met him, I, I sat in his office. He was about six nine close to 300 pounds, and he looked at me with that big baritone voice, you know, do you love Jesus? That's frightening, especially when you don't. <laughs> so what was my answer? It's very intellectual. Of course, I know who he is. I'm a college graduate. Seriously? Seriously? See, I had an intellectual understanding that there there was a God. My mother talked about him all the time. I didn't know him, never met him. And that he had a son who lived a long time ago. A lot of fathers have sons. That's nice information. And it's, it's historical. That's okay. I get it. But it really didn't mean anything to me. Because I had been searching in all the wrong places. And three weeks later, after that initial meeting with Pastor Bob Davis, I went to an evening worship service in the church. And there I heard the simplicity of the gospel. I heard about Jesus only. And for 46 years, I have walked with him. And he only is my Savior There's nothing outside of him. There's nothing I can do to increase his love for me. There's nothing I can do for his love to be removed from me. Because he has promised me. And he is faithful unto the end. Maybe, just maybe, you need a savior. Who is this savior? Paul writes about about him in Philippians 2.9 where he says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. The name. See how important that name is? It's in that name. What name? The name of God. God bestowed his own name on his own son. He inherited through his work, through his accomplishment. He is fully God and fully man." He is the second person of the Trinity. He alone is the Savior. That's the name that he was exalted to. What a wonderful name. But the leaders in Jerusalem, they knew the name, but they denied the power. That's where we are today. In a world that knows the name, but denies the power denies the personal relationship. So how do we overcome that? We start right here with you online in Alma and here. This is where we start. You challenge yourself. Maybe I need a savior. And if you do, he is free today, just today. He's free for you. And all you have to do is say, Jesus, take over my life. You don't know what it means. You don't have to know anything else to get started. We actually have some starter kits out at Info. If you choose to do that, pick one of those up and read through it. It includes a Bible. We need to understand who Jesus is. I asked the worship team to come back up. You don't want to reject Jesus because listen to what... Peter says to the, the leaders in the 11th verse, couched between the 10th and 12th, we've already read of Acts 4, the stone you builders rejected, Jesus is. Jesus is the stone you builders have rejected. And it has become the cornerstone. Why did he say that? Because in that period of history, these leaders knew of a story. They knew of a legend. Whether it's true or not doesn't matter. It had been passed on by word of mouth, and this is what it was. It was that back when Solomon's temple was being constructed and the stones were being quarried and brought out, all of them were the same size, except for one. And the builders saw this and they said, well, that'll never fit with what we're doing. So they rolled it down into the Kidron Valley to get rid of it. And then years later, they said, okay, we need the cornerstone. Where is it? One of the older men who had been there for years said, that's the stone that you rejected and that's why Peter says Jesus is the stone the one that fits in and completes everything the one you've been looking for but you have rejected him it is not safe to reject first Timothy 2 5 for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind the man Christ Jesus. That's it. That's our mediator. Now today, the church is different than it was in Peter and John's day. Today, the church is no longer young. It's over 2,000 years old. It's no longer small with maybe 2 billion people involved in Christianity. It has experienced leadership today, and now the church must become militant, which means we push Against that which pushes against us. We must take up the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ for he alone saves mankind. Maybe, just maybe, you need a savior today. If that's you, I'm going to come back in just a minute and I'm going to pray with you to receive Christ. If you're already a follower, I want you to commit your life at even a deeper level to him. Because Jesus alone is the only one who's worth it. Let's worship.